We're going to continue our study here in 2 Timothy. Uh, this is study number 23. Today's date is January the 12th, 2021. Tony, if you would, to start with, let's, uh, if you'll bring up uh, 2 Timothy 4, 9, and also bring up verse 10 also, verse 2 Timothy 4.10. Bring them both up. That might save a little bit there. The first thing that uh, verse 9 says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. On the one hand, do thy diligence. This literally means to, to be quick, fast, and, in, and to hurry. On the other hand, uh, it possibly means to be careful, eager, and to earnestly apply yourself. Keep in mind that Paul has said that the time of his exit is nearing. Paul's death could come at any time. And we would or should expect Paul to instruct Timothy to come quickly to see him. Paul had already said back in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 4 that he looked forward to seeing Timothy one more time. And the last part of that verse is to come shortly. It gives us the idea for Timothy to be rather prompt. Don't be out horsing around because the time was of the essence. Timothy must get to where Paul was located as soon as possible. Okay, we're going to go to 2 Timothy 4.10. says, For Demas, who was forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed into Thessalonica, Crescens went to Galatia, Titus went to Malaysia, and that is the part of modern Yugoslavia, for your information. And also here it's interesting the time that... Uh, the number three is used, but Demas was mentioned three times in the New Testament. The first time Demas was mentioned in Paul's epistles was in Colossians. It says uh, he talked to Luke, the beloved physician, and also Demas, greet you. The only thing that verse tells us is that Demas was with Paul when he was writing to the Colossians from prison in Rome. Now the second time that Demas was mentioned was in Philemon verses 23 and 24. It says there, Salute thee, Ephesus, and my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Demas was a friend, and Paul referred to Demas as a fellow worker or a fellow laborer, apparently on a par with the other workers of the Apostle Paul at Rome. <clears throat> Demas, who had demonstrated a commitment to the Lord's work before he became involved with the attention of the world. Now, later on, Demas deserted Paul. I guess the bottom line was Demas couldn't stand the heat. And he left Rome and he headed for Thessalonica. Now from where he was to Thessalonica was, I looked on the map, 
measured it out. It's approximately 550 miles away. And keep in mind, there was no plane, train, or Greyhound bus to ride in either, which was quite a distance. I think you could say that the lack of information and compliments that we have regarding Demas might suggest to us that he never made any significant contribution to Paul's ministry. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, but not with Demas. In our verse, Paul mentioned Demas for the third time. That's 2 Timothy 4.10. This is possibly, now we're looking at this thing all being about five years later than the Colossians and Philemon event. The Greek verb forsaken describes a condition which is the opposite of that of the deed of all. Paul also used the same word to describe the mass desertion at his trial. It says, For Demas, who was forsaken me, and forsaken literally means that Demas deserted or left Paul behind. Paul usually does not give the reason for individuals who are uh, deserting him. But in the case of Demas, Paul does. Notice what Paul says in our verse here. Demas, having loved this present world, and then he departed to Thessalonica. Notice what Paul says about, instead of Demas focusing love onto Jesus Christ, Demas was focusing his attention on this present age. The now age, or times that which Paul designated as the evil age. Apparently, Thessalonica is where Paul had encountered strong opposition from the Jews, and evidently that appealed to Demas more than suffering hardship with Paul for the sake of the gospel message. The next person that Paul mentions in that verse was a guy named Crescens, C-R-E-S-E-N-S. So Crescens went to Galatia. Crescens, this was the only time that he was mentioned in the New Testament. For some reason, Crescens left Paul and went to Galatia. Nothing else is known about him. Crescens was with Paul for a very short time. Then he went to Galatia, either as Paul's representative or according to his own will. The next person in our verse that we're looking at, Paul says that Titus went to Dalmatia. Titus was mentioned 14 times. In other words, two times, those are two times seven in the New Testament. Paul's letters reveal that Titus was the man of the hour at a number of key points in Paul's life. Titus was a partner and a fellow worker of the Apostle Paul. Titus was not mentioned in the book of Acts. Titus was a man with for the tough assignments. According to Paul, Titus was dependable, reliable, and he had a great capacity for human affection. Titus possessed both strength and a thing called tact, which that's very important. 
Titus had the ability to calm a desperate situation on more than one occasion. Titus was a good example for Christians who are called to live out their witness in trying, in trying circumstances. Paul had been with Paul. Titus had been with Paul for many years, and all evidence suggests that they enjoyed a close relationship. It is probably that Paul and Titus mutually agreed that Titus should take the gospel to the Dalmatian district on the east side of the Adriatic Sea, since this is the only time that this area is mentioned in the New Testament. We assume that this was probably a new missionary adventure. Okay, now we're going to go to the next verse, 2 Timothy 4.11. 2 Timothy 4.11. It says, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is probably to me for the ministry. Okay, what about Luke? Who and what was Luke's connection with Paul? In Paul's writings, Luke was mentioned, again, three times. First time was in Philemon 24, where he referred to him as a fellow laborer. The second time was in Colossians 4. It tells us that Luke was a physician. Luke had a concern for the poor, the sick, and the outcast, which gave us a clue why Paul called him the beloved physician. Now, the third time Luke was mentioned was in our verse that we're looking at here, which was approximately four or five years later. And Luke was a Gentile who came from Antioch in Syria. And Luke was the only non-Jew author of, the, of a New Testament book. Luke was a humble person who had no desire to blow his own horn. Because more than one-fourth of the New Testament comes from his pen. Not once does Luke mention himself by name. Unlike Demas, Luke stood by Paul unto the very end. Even though Luke wrote the third synoptic gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts, it seems like Luke had a greater command or ability of the Greek language, and was probably more broad-minded and polished in his habits than any of the New Testament writers. When Luke wrote, he was a when he wrote, he was a careful historian both by his admission and also by the judgment and later in history. Paul, just having told Timothy to quickly come to him, all now adds, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. This information for us suggests that Timothy would be leaving from Ephesus is it that which was his assignment area? Now, whether Mark was Saul's Ephesus, Treos, or some other Asian or Macedonian city, we're not specifically told. But the first thing that Timothy was to do was to bring Mark to Paul. The reason Paul wanted Mark was because Mark was a very useful. 
person. When it came to furthering the gospel, Mark had his problems when he was a young guy. But now he had matured into a very useful person. And it came to the Lord's work, and he faithfully stood by Paul to the very end. All right, let's go to our next verse, 2 Timothy 4.12. 2 Timothy 4.12. And it says, Antichius have I sent to Ephesus. Tychius, the name means fortunate, and is used five times in the New Testament. Tychius was probably an Asian who was accompanying Paul on his way to Jerusalem with an offering for the poor while Paul was in prison in Rome. The first place that Tychius' name was used was in Acts 20, verse 4, where it tells us a little about Paul and Tychius. It says, in Acts 20, verse 4, it says, And there accompanied Paul into Asia, Sopter of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secondus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus of Asia, and Tychius of Antrophemus. In Ephesians 6.21, it gives us some more clues about this guy, Tychius. It says, but you also may know my, now listen to this part, this is sort of, uh, sort of gets a little bit into Paul's personal stuff, but he's telling us this, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychius was a beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you, listen to this, all things. Apart from Paul's imprisonment and his request that believers include him in their prayer, keep in mind that Paul has said little or nothing about his own personal affairs in this epistle of 2 Timothy. More important, however, is Paul's objective in writing this epistle to 2 Timothy. It was not written to solicit personal attention or personal sympathy but to systematically set forth the important truth for establishing members of the body of Christ. Now, the phrase, my affairs and how I'm doing, has a basic idea of things according to me or things happen to me and details that are related to me or what is taking place in my life day to day. In order to understand more what was behind the statement of my affairs and how I'm doing, we need to try to piece together the available information relating to Paul's confinement in Rome. And with that, let's go to, if you will, Tony, to Acts 28, verse 30 through 31. Acts 28, 30 to 31. That's the last two verses in Acts 28. And it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in to him. Verse 31, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching these things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Paul was given permission to live in his own house. He was given permission now, you remember that, to live in his own rented house. Evidently, 
when you really think about this, it had an adequate meeting room to accommodate several of those who wanted to see him were free to do so. This arrangement lasted for two years, possibly more, but it was less than three years. It was a time when minimal standards of confinement were in effect for Paul, and he waited for his trial. As Tychius delivered his epistle to the first church to receive it, Tychius would share with them details of Paul's ministry. And Tony, if you turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, that's Colossians 4, verse 7. It says, while Paul was in prison, Paul informs the people of Ephesus and Colossae that he is sending Tychius to visit them. In Colossians 4, verse 7, says, All my state shall Tychius declare unto you, who is beloved, who is a beloved brother, and he is a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Paul indicates that Tychius knows all of his prison lifestyle, which suggests to me that Tychius was closely associated with Paul. So in Colossians 4, 7, it tells us that Tychius is a beloved brother, first of all, and every time, I want you to keep in mind, there's some key, when you see certain words in Scripture, God chose to do certain organization. And that is, Tychius is a beloved brother. Beloved was used in the Synoptic Gospels. It has a direct or indirect reference to Jesus Christ as the beloved Son of God. Tychius was a very special person whom Paul sincerely cared for. Tychius was one of the few who remained faithful to Paul until the very end. Tychius was considered a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychius had all the marks of someone who was truly owned by Jesus Christ. Tychius was a faithful minister with Paul, and this went on for approximately eight years. He remained faithful to Paul and the mystery message until the very end. The last part of our verse that we're looking at, 2 Timothy 4.12, and it said, Tychius, I have sent to Ephesus. The reason Paul sent Tychius, the reason Paul sent Tychius is not told to us. However, since Tychius was an Asian, and this is an Asian city, now, it's very, I've tried to read this as many places as I could search it out. It's very possible that Traos possibly may have been Tychius' hometown. The most convincing reason, however, is that Paul sent him to Ephesus to replace young Timothy because just three verses ago, in verse 9, Paul ordered Timothy to quickly come to him. Paul's real desire was to have his dear son Timothy with him in his closing days of his life. We can only guess as to whether Timothy really got there in time before Paul's death.
Okay, the next verse we're going to look at in our lineup is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. 2 Timothy 4.13, it says, The cloak that I left at Traos with Carpus, when you came, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Paul's instructions in this verse presume that Timothy will follow Paul's instructions from verse 9. Do thy diligence, but to come quickly to me, and will soon be on his way to Paul, and he would be on his way to Paul. On the basis of the evidence to us, Timothy was to leave Ephesus and go north to Traos. Traos was an important city in Asia, Asia with a good harbor. And Paul's second missionary journey was, this was the place where Paul reached the west coast of Asia. Remember when Paul was in Traos, he saw the vision of the Macedonian man crying for help, which led him to sail to Neapolis, travel to inland to Philippi, and for the time, for the first time, and to proclaim the gospel of God's grace in Europe. Okay. Tony, if you go to uh, Acts chapter 20, Acts 20, 4 through 12. Acts 20, 4 through 12. I'm going to drink water here while you get that. Acts 20, verse 4. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopata of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius of Derby, Timotheus of Asia, Trachias, and Timotheus. Acts 5. These seven fellows were going before, or they, they, they before, or waited for us in Traus. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came to them to Traus in five days where you also stayed for seven more days. Acts 20, verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to make bread, Paul preached unto them, who were ready to depart on the morrow, on the next day, and continued his speech or message until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man made Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, long-winded, he sunk deep, he sunk down with sleep and fell down the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him. Now keep in mind, this was before the end of Acts 28, so Paul still had ability to heal at this point. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. This shows us that Paul was still able to do miracles before the end of Acts. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a while, while even till the break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little, they were not a little comforted. So according to Acts 20, 5 through 12, 
several, in other words, seven, if you can imagine, of Paul's fellow workers went to Traos and waited for Paul to get there. And while they were waiting on Paul to arrive, some five days or more, and during that time, do you suppose what they were getting, their NBA uh, updates or their NFL updates or their playing on their cell phones? No, we assume that they were active doing that five days and sharing the gospel and doing ministry work. But after Paul, in Acts 20, verse 6, got there, they all remained an additional seven days. During this time, they were obviously involved in the Lord's work. And they had meeting in the, on the first day of the week, at which Paul dialogued with the seven for many hours, until midnight. After which Paul talked with them until dawn. Also, Paul calls the Corinthians that he wanted, he went to Traos to make known the gospel of Christ, and the door was open for him of the Lord. With that, we just read the evidence that leads us to believe that there were most, must have been an active group of believers at Traos. Even though we have no specific mention of a church or group there. In our verse that we're looking at, 2 Timothy 4.13 tells us that the cloak that I left at Traos with Carpus. Evidently, Carpus was one of Paul's trusted friends from Traos. This is the only time that Carpus is mentioned in the New Testament. Paul had left his cloak or his travel coat with Carpus. And in addition, Paul says that he left his books and his parchments. And it says, when you come, bring with you the books. But especially, the parchments are to be brought to Paul. The word bring here is written in the imperative mood. In other words, Paul is commanding Timothy to carry or to at least bring these items to him. Possibly things are really beginning to change in Paul's life for the negative. The word especially literally means that Timothy was to particularly, mainly, or most of all, was to bring the parchments. Paul wanted the books. The word is Biblia, which literally means papyrus, papyrus rolls, and it will be that these rolls contain the earliest forms of the Gospels. They could possibly be one of two things. They could be Paul's legal documents, especially his certificate of Roman citizenship, but when he traveled around like he was, he, it was easy for him to prove that he was a Roman. But more often, likely, they were copies of the Hebrew scriptures because the Hebrews wrote their sacred books on parchments made from animal skins. It was the word of Jesus and the word of God that Paul wanted most of all while he lay in prison awaiting his death. We know nothing about the books and the parchments. They were evidently documents that the Apostle Paul valued, and possibly some of them will contain parts of Scripture. All right, let's go to our next verse, 2 Timothy 4.14. Interesting verse, 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. May the Lord... Reward him according to his works. The main point in this verse is that Paul warns Timothy against Alexander the coppersmith, who had 
bitterly opposed him and his ministry. The name of Alexander was a common name. It was used five times in the New Testament to set him off from Alexander's. Paul describes him as a, to make him different than the others, he called him a coppersmith. Someone who works with copper or bronze. Just for the record, another one of Paul's enemies or not too close friends was Demetrius. Demetrius. He also was a metal worker, but he is referred to as a silver worker. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.14 that Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. This no doubt are probably included insulting remarks and tough language as well as shocking practices. Even one guess is that Alexander the coppersmith had been involved or was responsible for the Apostle Paul's arrest and imprisonment. The last part of our verse, Paul prays, May the Lord reward Alexander according to his works. And in return, Paul commits Alexander over to the judgment of the Lord. Okay, let's go to our next verse, 2 Timothy 4.15. Of whom be thou also aware? For he hath greatly withstood our words. In verse 15 here, we're talking about, notice that Paul is warning Timothy against Alexander the coppersmith. Paul is warning Timothy to know that he is a very dangerous person and to keep an eye on him. Paul recognizes that Alexander's strong stand against Paul's own message will probably be directed next against Timothy's message, which would only make sense. With this on Paul's mind, Paul is telling Timothy to be on guard against Alexander the coppersmith, which means that Timothy is to continuously watch out for, be aware of this guy Alexander the coppersmith. Was Paul commanding Timothy if necessary to stand alone against this guy? Now keep in mind the second Thessalonians three three says, But the Lord is faithful. See, Paul knew this. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. That's second second Thessalonians three three. Timothy had available the Lord to guard him from the evil one. And since Alexander's fierce opposition was against Paul's message and the mystery truth that had been deposited with Paul and now was being passed on to Timothy, and since Timothy's responsibility was to guard this truth through with the Holy Spirit and regarding the message against Andrew. Now, Tony, would you go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, 11 through 14. 2 Timothy 1, 11 through 14. I want to look close at verse 12. 2 Timothy 1, 11 says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also to suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I, Paul, know whom I have believed, and I know whom I am persuaded, that he, Christ, is available to keep that which I, Paul, have committed or deposited unto him 
against that day. It says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Now, when you look at this, Paul continues to give us two reasons why he genuinely knows that Timothy will be taken care of when he goes out to give this uh, message out. The first point here was that Paul knew who Timothy believed in because Timothy had placed his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ. Now the second point was Paul had been persuaded or putting it another way, he was convinced that Jesus Christ was able to keep, to guard, to keep safe, or to preserve that which had been deposited with Paul, and Christ would do the same for Timothy. You and I need to see that the emphasis here is, in this whole thing, when you look at it, the whole emphasis is on God's ability to protect that which God had entrusted to the Apostle Paul. God is the one who preserves it. Now the second part of our verse 415 here says, For he, Alexander the coppersmith, was greatly withstood our words. He was greatly withstood our words. This great, this word greatly literally means that Alexander the coppersmith's opposition was not mild, nor was it moderate, but that it greatly extremely and strongly opposed to Paul's words. Now, notice what I said, Paul's words. The things you need to notice is that the opposition was not against Paul as a person, but the opposition was against Paul's words, or what Paul was teaching and Paul's ministry. The next word we'll look at is, in verse 15, is the word withstood. It literally means that Alexander placed himself against and he resisted the words or the message that was spoken by Paul. Paul acknowledges that the effect of Alexander's resistance was focused on what Paul taught, namely is our words. But three times Paul refers to the words which he taught as our gospel, Three times in Paul's writings, Paul describes his message as my gospel. Three times, Paul speaks of the gospel preached by him by me. So evidently, Alexander's strong stand or opposition was not against any humanly generated words. Example, like the message of Saul of Tarsus, but it was the divinely revealed word of God. For this particular age, which was revealed to and through the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ revealed the distinct truth for the body of Christ to which Paul refers to as my gospel, or our gospel, and the gospel, preached by me. The bottom line to this whole thing is that Satan literally hates the gospel message. And Satan stirs up his representatives, such as Alexander, to fiercely oppose it. All right, let's go to 2 Timothy 4.16. 
At my first answer, or no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that may it not be laid to their charge. Everything that is said in verse 16 revolves around what happened during Paul's first defense. The words that my first, the word answer. Now, I want you to tell you, you need to look that word up. The word answer is strong 627. And that word translates to the word defense. Literally means to answer for self or clearing of self or a defense of self. So the word defense or answer here was used in the New Testament by Paul and for Paul several times. The first time that the Strong's word 627 translated defense is used in connection with Paul is when he was apprehended in Jerusalem and he was standing before the castle steps. And Paul listened. He said, listen now to my defense to you. The second time that this word was used, it was used in connection with Paul, is when Festus, concerning Paul's situation in Caesarea. And the third time Paul uses this Strong's word is here in our gospel message was in prison in Rome. It is pretty obvious that Paul's defense of the gospel and his being in prison are very equal in value. Very equal. Paul writes that my first defense, no one took my part, but all men forsook Forsook me. And the word forsook literally means to leave or uh, means to desert. May it not be laid to their account. It would appear that this is a reference to the initial investigation preceding of the formal trial at this particular time. It had become so dangerous for any one person, man or woman, to publicly be associated with such a prominent Christian as the Apostle Paul. It says, at my first defense, no one was brave enough to come to the public or out in the open as Paul's friend and to plead his case. <clears throat> but when Paul was brought to his Roman trial, not even one of his friends stood up for him because it was too dangerous to declare yourself as a friend of the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine? Paul was trialed for his life. Also remember that all, remember the word all, of the new believers in Asia had recently turned away from Paul. And now Paul stood deserted and alone, just like when his Savior Jesus Christ was on the cross. Even then, they all forsook Christ, and then they fled. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Paul, this great man of God, left left by all of Paul's friends and companions, just as Christ was in his last hours of need, could pray and say, may it not be laid to their charge. I want to ask you, could you do that? The question here is, why was Paul... Why was Paul sent to Rome to have his trial? This trial was really just a continuation of Paul's defense, which began a few days. Tony, we're going to look that up. If you would go, Tony, to Acts chapter 25, Acts 25, 
verses 11 through 12. I'm going to get a drink of water again. Real windy tonight. Acts 25, 11 through 12. And for I, for if I be an offender, I have committed anything worthy of death. I refuse not to die, but if there be none of these things thereworth, whereof these accuse me, no man will deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Verse 12. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Then unto Caesar shall thou go. So he was, that set him on. One of the important points about 2 Timothy 4.16 is there are four references or four questions of Psalm 22. And then we're going to look at one of them tonight. But the first reference is a question, why have you forsaken me? And Paul said, but remember when Christ was on the cross in Mark 15 it says, he talks about, why hast thou forsaken me? But all this was done that forsaken me. The scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And all the disciples forsook him and fled. All forsook me. It seems that the words in Psalm 22 were running in Paul's mind. This is the same psalm which was in the mind of Christ while he hung on his cross. As Paul faced death, like I said, there's four references in Psalm 22 to similar as, as the Lord used him in this same circumstance. I tell you what, gang, uh, that's going to be it for tonight. And the next time we'll, if things go right, we're going to complete our Second Timothy chapter. We're going to take it from there, but I want to thank you for listening. Tony, thank you for posting the scriptures. I want you to have a good evening, and I will close with this. In the name of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, amen.